When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dr. Sean McDowell has devoted his career to helping to bring truth to the next generation. He's currently an associate professor of Christian apologetics at Biola University, a podcast host, and has a YouTube channel that tackles some of the biggest questions about God, morality, and contemporary culture. Sean, thanks so much for coming back on Takeaways. Great to be back, Kirk. Thanks for having me. Well, um, you're always sh showing me up with your shoes. <laughs> And so uh, I tried to pull out my best set of boots. Okay, here, okay. You, know, you, you, you did it all again. All right, all right. And, but, but, but what I really love is that you're always able to help me think better hmm. as a Christian and not just memorize scripture, but actually apply the word of God to the issues that we're wrestling with in our hmm. culture. That is my heart and my passion. Scripture's not meant to just be understood and then passed on. It's meant to apply to our lives. That's one thing my dad taught me is like every biblical truth is meant to be lived out in relationship. And so if we read the scripture that way, it can transform the way we live. And, and you're focusing a lot on, on processing life through a biblical lens. And that's what you talk about in your podcast. And, and you call this biblical thinking. Um, first of all, what is biblical thinking? And what gave you the idea to do a whole show about this? So biblical thinking is basically taking scriptural principles and applying them to all of life. Okay. So if God is the creator of everything, then there should be a biblical or Christian way to think about everything. Including Whether, what cereal I eat in the morning? Uh, well, in some ways, yes. I mean, if you really drew it out of me, we would say we have a responsibility to be healthy. So that could apply to take care of our bodies to what we eat. You could ask the question, where does that cereal come from? Do I have a responsibility to care for the environment? I mean, cereal, you're going to have to take yes. a few steps right. to get there. I, I was going out on the fringe, but fringe there. I, in, in some ways, yes. We can't siphon any choice we make from our faith in some fashion or another. So, so biblical thinking is not just about uh, knowing the story of David and Goliath mm. and Noah and the ark. It's about how do I process decisions on which job I might want to take or what television and entertainment choices do I allow to influence me? What relationships should I be in and which ones do I need to get rid of? 100%. I was at a church in, uh, a big church in another state I won't mention, and I was talking with two engineers who are probably about 35, 40 years old. And they had been in the church their entire lives. And I asked them both, I said, hey, I'm really curious how do you apply your faith to what it means to be an engineer? They looked at each other, they looked at me, and their answer was, gosh, we've never thought about it. And I sat there and I thought, how can you spend 40 hours a week of your time in a job and never be trained in the church to think about how does your faith apply to your job? That's a tragedy. That buys into our secular way of thinking that says your faith is fine when you go to church, it's fine if you happen to go to a Christian school, but don't apply your faith to how you think about politics. Don't apply your faith to entertainment. Don't apply your faith to anything outside the walls of the church. Mm. That's exactly what this kind of thinking 
falls into. So yes, our entertainment choices should be affected by our faith. Relationships should be affected by our faith. Our jobs should be affected by our faith. To some people, this may sound like a pretty novel idea. And I, I remember family members saying to me like, well, yeah, the Bible's cool. You know, if you're into that and you, you want to talk to God in your prayers, I mean, I'm sure it's an instruction manual to help you, but it doesn't tell me what TV shows I should watch. So don't, mm. don't get on me about that. Mm. Um, but like you said, there's principles that can be drawn that, that are important for us to understand so that we make the kinds of decisions that are going to be healthy and they're going to be honoring to God. But Sean, is this concept of biblical thinking uh, just a novel idea that you've come up with and you're saying we should do? Or does the scripture itself tell us to think biblically? So Abraham Kuyper, a great Dutch philosopher, theologian, politician, he said, there's not a square inch of creation out of which God does not cry out, it's mine. So we see it in the Old Testament in the Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4. God says what? He says, you know, love Lord God with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And then talk about these with your kids when you lie down, when you wake up, when you go along the way. In other words, naturally through the rhythm of life, mm. our faith should apply to everything. You get to the New Testament. Jesus says, love God with your heart and with your soul and with your mind. You see mm. Paul in his letters to the churches. He's talking about what foods you eat, not sacrificed idols. He talks about sexual behavior. He talks about living out our Christian faith in culture, which we can only do by applying our faith to it. So this is not novel to me. I only started doing this because I'm a parent for one, and I work with this generation. And I find that I think most people in the church are far more like without realizing it to have imbibed a secular worldview than a biblical worldview. Mm. And it's back to what you said earlier. We know the story of David and Goliath. We know the story of Samson. We know the story of Jonah. But we have no idea how those stories teach biblical principles that shape the way I actually love my neighbor. So I think we've done a disservice in the church by just teaching certain stories. And our answer is just, well, read the Bible, pray and go to church. And those are wonderful things we need to do but not connecting those dots to your job, your relationships, your life. Yeah. I think we gut a certain power in people to live out and navigate culture. Yeah, and when we do that, we give them the impression that, impression that the Bible uh, is not relevant for these important areas that are important to them. So like, for instance, my kids, uh, music's important to them, friends are important mm. to them, the future, relationships are important to them. But if the Bible is just sort of like, you know, I'm, I'm memorizing some scriptures uh, and, and, and some Bible studies, they're not going to be interested. But if it tells them how to find the right future mate, how to be mm. fulfilled, how to have a sense of their identity that gives them confidence and strength to move into the future without fear, okay, now they're going to be interested. I think they're not only going to be interested, I think that's when somebody starts to own their faith. Yeah. When it moves from just understanding an idea to actually living it out. So in, like you said, in the music I listen to, when you start to think about that Christianly, one of my favorite things to teach is film. I'll do this, I still do a high school class part-time and we'll just watch movies. And I'll just ask them questions about the movie. We'll dissect it together. And all of a sudden students start to realize, oh my goodness, there's themes of redemption. 
There's themes of good and evil. This movie is pushing a kind of gospel on mm. me. There's ideas embedded in this about yes. relationships. So you're right, it interests them, but they also start to go, wow, I've got a hook, so to speak, with my faith. So it moves it from just an idea I have to something I actually live out and own, and it's a part of who I am. This idea of thinking biblically, I think, has actually um, migrated into Hollywood filmmaking, into the minds of people, and I don't think they even realize it. If you watch The Lion King, there's, there's mm. themes of rebellion, of, of baptism, of redemption, of coming in the spirit of your father, of uh, the battle between good and evil, and the enthronement of a king. In fact, the son of the king, become, yep. all that stuff is in The Lion King. I mean, Rafiki cracking the coconut egg over Simba's head. Yep. You know, uh, remember who you are, Simba, <laughs> right? And he hears the voice of his father and he comes running back into the Pride Lands to defeat Scar. And who does Scar think that Simba is? He mm. thinks it's Mufasa because he looks just mm. like him, right? And, and, and I think for us, if, if we would think biblically, we would be coming toward the forces of darkness and we would be coming in the spirit of our Father in heaven and and darkness would flee because it's game over. Once you understand who you are and whose you are and you're coming in the spirit of your father, look out. Uh, that, that's a powerful example of Lion King. One of my favorite ones is the movie Infinity War. So okay. if, if we, I'm sure by now everybody's seen Infinity War, but that movie starts off and, and uh, Thanos has Thor captured and his brother Loki has a choice. Am I gonna allow Thanos to kill Thor or am I gonna give him the soul stone? or not the soul stone, give him one of the power stones. Well, throughout that movie is one moral question. To what can we sacrifice a human life? That's the question. So will Dr. Strange allow Thanos to kill Iron Man or will he give him the stone? Sacrifice. Will, uh, all the names blend, will Star-Lord allow Gamora to get killed by Thanos or will he end her life? to stop him from getting the soul stone. What Captain America says is we are not in the business of exchanging lives until the one in 14 million ways to save the universe is Iron Man willingly laying down his life as a sacrifice. Now you know where this Come is on, going. Let's go. I mean, think, think about this, you know this, but the point is at one point Gamora is about to get sacrificed and she said this is not true love when she's been sacrificed by another. Jesus says real love is when a man lays down his life for a friend. Now it's fictional. And I don't think the Marvel creators put that story into it because they're trying to tell the gospel. I think they couldn't escape it because the gospel is written on our hearts. Okay, so how do we think this way on a practical level? Mm -hmm. I mean, is, is, is biblical thinking uh, reserved for those who have got all 66 books of the Bible me memorized, <laughs> apologists and intellectuals, or can the everyday guy begin to live this way? Well, there's a level where you have to know scripture to think biblically. So we've got to read scripture, we've got to listen to scripture. Step number one is to know it. And then the second thing I start looking for is what, what I'll do with my students, my high school students, is we sometimes will walk into class and I won't have a lesson plan. What I'll say is, oh, this happened in the news. How do we think Christianly about that? And what I don't mean is slap a verse on top of it. Yeah. I mean, what does this reveal about human nature? 
What does this tell us about what's broken in the world? Mm. What's a biblical way to respond? Is there any intersection with what happened here with what happens in the scripture? So it starts by realizing there's a biblical perspective of everything, and then any discipline you take, history, science, math, entertainment, asking where are the hooks between scripture and between that discipline. So I'm reading a book about history right now in a biblical worldview of it. And you take like an atheistic view of history. There's no designer. It's not purposeful. Things happen by accident. They're not planned. A biblical view says there is a designer, there is a God, and he is moving history towards his end. That's a very different way of even thinking about history. So no scripture, look for a connection. But like anything else, like cooking, you've got to practice it. Like my wife will give me certain foods. I'm like, this tastes good. And I won't taste a certain, you know, just like salt or food that's in there because I'm just not good at cooking. But the more I do it, and she's like, can you taste this? I'm like, oh, I see it. That's what happens with a biblical worldview. Mm. The more we practice this, we start to see stuff in culture. That's what's exciting to me. When I point stuff out to my students and I see stuff, they're like, oh my goodness, that's powerful. Sean, what about issues that are not specifically mentioned in scripture? How do we think biblically about stuff that's not in the Bible? So we could take a ton of different issues. We could take an issue like, say, gun control. Obviously, that's not in the Bible. You're not going to turn to Hezekiah and find about using a gun, obviously. But the question is, is it okay to have self-defense? Is it okay to take another human life? What is the role of government? And if you take a human life, when is that justified? So we take biblical principles, the value of human beings, And then we apply it to those issues. So some issues, there's a direct hook. You want to talk about marriage? It's all over the Bible. It's crystal clear. Gun control, we're going to have to take principles and apply it on that issue. So every issue, whether it's explicit or it's implicit, there are biblical teachings that apply to that issue that can help us think about it. Sean, so we've talked about wanting to think biblically or Christianly, as you said, about Mm -hmm. everything, about the choices that we make, how we treat other people, um, economics, politics, all of these things Mm -hmm. can be understood and processed through the lens of the Bible. Once we start thinking biblically, how can we put feet to this way of thinking? How do we practically act, particularly in the public square? I mean, I I know in my Mm -hmm. private life, hey, I'm not going to get angry with people without cause. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do this. But when it comes to publicly, in front of my friends, you know, right now, uh, on TV, in in the public square, what are the kinds of things that really make an impact? Well, I think a couple things. We've got to know the public sphere that we're in. So speaking to Congress in a public sphere is very different than a conversation publicly here. Okay. It's very different than walking in public, having a conversation with somebody. Okay. So partly, first thing I would say is think through what public setting am I in and what's most biblical and most effective in that setting. And so I find myself in very different settings where I'm asking myself, okay, what's the wise move here How do I navigate this situation? So that's step number one. I can't say always do this because it might look different. And that just comes from, I think, a lot of wisdom in doing it. 
I found one thing. We have such a cancel culture today mm -hmm. where you say the wrong thing. People just want to wreck you. They want to cancel you. So one of the things I try to do is I try to be a good listener, try to be charitable towards people. I try to first understand the world as somebody sees it. And I just try to follow the golden rule, treat people the way I would want them to treat me. And so I have a lot of conversations with people publicly. I had a conversation publicly with a guy who defined himself to me as an atheist New York media elite who grew up, he writes for all these major publications, New York Times, and we've had three public conversations. He grew up in Greenwich, Manhattan, and told me, he's like, I knew no Christians growing up. But we've had conversations, because we're both kind of committed to, I want to treat you kindly, he wants to treat me kindly. So we've talked about some pretty thorny issues in public across radically different worldviews, that's how I try to lean in. And I would love to see more Christians approach finding common ground graciously. And that's not to say there's not a time to speak with a prophetic voice and to speak truth and call out sin as we see it. There is a time for that. We need to do that today. But I'd love to see a lot more Christians be less defensive, less on the cancel culture bandwagon. But I know that it is a more fearful thing to stay silent in the public square because history mm -hmm. tells us this turns into Venezuela, Cuba, China, and North Korea real fast mm -hmm. if we don't speak up and think and act biblically. You and I are part of a tradition where Elijah goes, hey God, I'm the only one. So whether there are people or not, he speaks up. Daniel speaks up. Like this is a movement that's not aiming for popularity, we need to speak truth no matter what it costs us. But the reality is today, I think you're right. There's a whole lot of people who are feeling afraid to speak up because they'll get canceled. Mm. And when somebody says, you know what? There is a view of sexuality. We think it's right and we're gonna criticize this. That gives a lot of other people courage. It just does. The more people that speak up and are bold in their faith, emboldens me and emboldens other people. So it yes. takes leaders to step out there. Now, God's given you and I different platforms, which is awesome, we can do this, but that's true for everybody. Everybody in their school classroom, it could be, it could be in their neighborhood, in their family, in the right way. You never know who's watching. That's right. And it often takes one person to just say, you know what, I don't think that's true that motivates people around them. So we need a lot more people to stand up and just speak truth with the right spirit and with love. And I think, I think you're right. There's an awful lot of people who would follow that. I've been in situations where, uh, not just talking about a biblical way of thinking about politics or a biblical will, way of thinking about the origins of, uh, of life or the universe, but someone takes a biblical way of thinking about how to handle a difficult person. And mm. instead of just uh, using their words as knives to like shred them, they are slow to speak, quick to listen mm. and slow to get angry. And they put themselves in a posture of humility and say, you know, I've really learned something by listening to you today. P please forgive me. I think I made a mistake here and, uh, wow. and uh, you've really taught me something. And that changes the mood of that other person and, and reconciles a relationship and it's a game changer. But you never would think to do that unless you were thinking biblically because it goes against our instincts. 
I think that's right. That's one thing when I started doing videos on YouTube, people are like, you've got to be cutting edge and you've got to insult and yeah. be provocative. And I thought, I think you lose more by doing that in terms of the gospel and what you've gained. So I've reached out to a ton of people and tried to do the very thing that you're modeling. And it's incredible. The conversation just shifts when somebody yeah. feels understood, they feel cared for. Like you said, humility is a Christian virtue. Even just being a Christian, admitting, man, I got this wrong and I failed, that speaks powerfully today. Yeah, and, 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 and it's so counterintuitive because we just think like we're in this, you know, people pay to watch MMA cage matches. And so like we want to get into the cage with someone else and have this um, linguistic MMA match with, with Joe Rogan uh, announcing the whole thing and we want to win and choke the other guy out. When in reality, Jesus defeats death and the devil by laying down his life and sets the example for love. And you go, how does, how does that work? Well, in God's economy, he, he makes that work. I think you're right. You know, one of the narratives today is that Christians are hateful and they're intolerant and they're bigoted. And I think one of the ways to turn this is we can do, we can do movies and we can do big picture things to change ideas. But I think what really changes it when somebody hears Christians do this way and their next thought is, you know, I know a Christian and they're not that way. An individual they know yeah. personally who's treated them the way they're describing, that's what shifts the scripture. Yeah. It shifts the narrative, I think, from the bottom up. I, I totally agree with you. And yet I also push back on this idea that, that uh, Christians are too bigoted and judgmental and Christians are all this stuff and so we need to be more loving. What I've actually seen is that Christians are the most loving people that I know, mm. true Christians, not just religious people who are sure. sort of using it as a cloak for mm. their selfishness. But Christians adopt more children, Christians give more generously, Christians respond with genuine hearts of compassion toward difficult situations. Mm. And I think that Christians actually, if they're not thinking biblically, can be guilted into being wimps and rolling over where they need to be standing up. Mm. Where are the brave hearts today? Where are the men and women of faith mm. and courage and character that stand for the lives of the unborn and the ones who need to stand for the principles that gave us a country wherein we can have political liberty, choosing our own leaders of faith and character, economic liberty, educating our own children, not having the government indoctrinate them. We need to stand for those things. Um, I mean, there's a part of me that's got a Patrick Henry in me. There's a part of me that's got a William Wilberforce and Wallace in me, right? That, I, I've got Scottish roots. I'm about to bust out my, my kilt right now and, and pull out my claymore because there's some things Christians fight for when they're thinking biblically. Well, I'm a McDowell, so I've got a lot of Scottish, yeah, there in, you me, go. Scottish in me too. But you just look at the history of social justice movements. And I mean justice movements that care for the marginalized yeah. It is largely by Christians. That's right. And we're not talking about woke victim mentality, but really, exactly. truly fighting for justice. I mean, anti-slavery. I mean, the civil rights Christians. movement. Christians. Hospitals. Christians. Orphanages. Medicine. Women's rights. Now, that's not to say Christians haven't failed. Of course they have. But the legacy as a whole, that's what we're a part of. Why? Because the Bible says everybody, regardless of skin color, regardless of socioeconomic status, male, female, rich, poor, made in the image of God and have value. I'm proud of our legacy. There's things we still need to work on and improve and change, of course, but I'm proud to be a Christian and what Christians have done.
Amen. You know, sometimes people will say, you know, Americans don't have culture. You know, you, you, you can find other countries and, and groups of people that have all this rich culture in America. What, what, what's your culture? What, you know, what, what are you defined by? Hot dogs and apple pie? I mean, what do you got? And I'm like, you know what we got? We got the Declaration of Independence. We got the Constitution. We've got the, the ending of, of, of slavery. We've got... Um, a Protestant work ethic and free market enterprise, mm. and we've got a political system that puts checks and balances on power that has enslaved people for, for centuries, for millennium. We've got an incredible mm. legacy and an incredible culture here, and it's rooted in the Bible. And if we'll turn back to thinking biblically, I think that we can again see the fruit of liberty and justice and the fruit of the Spirit characterizing our country. Oh, I think so too. I had a chance to interview, uh, again, come up. He's influenced me so much. Os Guinness wrote a recent book called Zero Hour America. And he's like, we are at a point where we have to decide what kind of nation are we? Yep. And he's not trying to say we need to have a Christian nation, whatever that means. He's just saying there are certain truths built in like dignity and freedom and real tolerance that come from our Christian that's Roots, the point, yes. Right? The, so are we going to accept those? Are we going to go what he describes as kind of a woke direction, a radical Islam direction, the sexual revolution? And he feels like we're at a pivotal point in our yep. country deciding where we're headed. And I think he's probably right. Yeah. You make a really good point that you don't just show up somewhere to debate somebody without having done your homework. How do you know when you're ready to actually go public with this Bible stuff? Do you have to be an expert? Well, so look, here's one mistake is like, I've got to get a master's in theology before I speak. The other is I'm just going to run out there and go public, which is foolish. There's a balance. So my encouragement is start where you are mm. and take baby steps and grow and learn and move forward. So probably not most people watching this, my guess would be, aren't ready to just go public and start a YouTube channel, maybe until they've thought through stuff. Because especially when you put stuff public now, it's there forever if somebody, you know, screen saves it or something. But we can all take steps forward in a conversation. Every single person watching this can reach out to somebody who's not a Christian and just say, tell me your story. Who do you think Jesus is? Have you ever gone to church? Have you ever had an experience you thought was divine? That's a step forward. Mm. You can listen to a podcast on Christian theology or thinking biblically. You can take baby steps forward. Yeah. So my question is, how do you just advance the ball and start living out your faith in a secular culture? All of us can do that in big and in small ways. Sean, you are speaking the truth. I was on an airplane just the other night and I was headed back from a trip with my kids and I sat next to a guy, hmm. started up a conversation and, he, and I said, how you doing? He's like, well, I've been better, but uh, I think hmm. I'm on the right road. And that led to a conversation where he was on his way to a rehab. Wow. And this is someone who uh, was successful. He was wealthy. And I said, tell me your story. Hmm. And it led to a two-hour conversation. The flight went by like wow. that. And by the end of that flight, we were praying together. I'm not an, a professional apologist. I'm not, I didn't go to seminary, hmm. but I could talk to a guy who had a strict religious upbringing and walked away because I have a background being an atheist myself. Hmm. And I could speak to him about what really brought everything together for me. And he said, man, I think this was a divine appointment. I said, I, I, I agree. So look, here's two things. Number one, reach out to somebody. Like you said, listen, find out where somebody's at, hear their story, 
and pray with them. That's amazing. Second thing, everybody can do this. Take an example in the news, take a movie, and just say, how do we think about that Christianly? Let's do it together. That's the kind of stuff yeah, all of us can do to get in the game, so to speak. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show.